Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. Today we're talking about books. Jessica Valenti has a book called Sex Object, and the second person that I talked to is Jessica Bennett, who has a really fun book coming out this fall called uh, Feminist Fight Club. A real quick note before we get started. If you live in Los Angeles or you like visiting Los Angeles, which that's everybody, you should join us for a very special live show at the Ace Theater downtown on Thursday, August 18th. We'll have many, many, many special guests, including Steph Beatrice, the genius behind the Instagram account, official Sean Penn, and our friends from Who Weekly. And we'll keep announcing more guests as the show date gets closer. But see you in LA, August 18th at the Ace Theater downtown. You can find information to buy your tickets at callyourgirlfriend.com. Hello. Oh my gosh. I I am loving there is like a chill quality to your voice today. I feel like it's I'm not going to call it LinkedIn voice but maybe like PBS voice. You sound very <laughs> like just very even right now. <laughs> um, let me tell you, I'm in a tiny studio and uh, the air conditioning is just right. That's oh, really what it is. Perfect air conditioning. Why is it so hard to find? It's like air Goldilocks porridge. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also had like a full scrub, one of those like Korean body scrubs. Oh my God. And for the first time, I asked the woman to just, I was like, can you do this harder? <laughs> and she's like, are you sure? And so like my skin is raw but soft. I picture you like the <laughs> and, bodies uh, exhibit, like you're just open muscles now, like if you got a harder version of that scrub. <laughs> I know. I'm also wearing like the the tiniest heel that I'm like happy with. I'm experimenting with like wearing like taller shoes and I don't know, it's like everything's working for me today. I even like I even got to the studio like early. I got time. I don't know. I'm having a great day. It's perfect. Oh my god. Well, what do I have in the positive column? A really good egg sandwich and I met a deadline this morning, which is like for me, I'm like at 100. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I mean, maybe I have low standards, but... <laughs> no, that sounds delicious. Yeah. What is in store today? What are we talking about? 
Today we're talking about books. Um, I'm heading out to Cape Cod for a couple of days, and literally my entire suitcase is two caftans and <laughs> just all the books I'm going to catch up on. I love aspirationally packing books. Like I, I don't, don't understand people who can pack the one book they're probably going to read and who pack 20. Like Packing 20 is just part of who I am. Yeah, I'm. Ex- I usually do not do this, and I think I'm actually going to get through all of them. So I'm excited. Tell me what's on your agenda. Well, here's the thing with me is that I don't really. My secret shame is that I don't read fiction. <laughs> I just like don't have the time, or I guess the imagination also. And so everything I read is usually like no. It's like nonfiction, like everything, right? Or like I'm a very solid magazine rotation. And so this year I'm really challenging myself to read more fiction, and it's been really good. But I'm also like oh. Maybe I have too many librarian friends or, like, librarian-adjacent friends, but people who are always like, this book changed my life. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, those people all read fiction. Now I understand what's going on here. It's like over-identifying with characters. I'm like, I'm not identifying with, like, characters in management books. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like summer so is really fiction happy. time. Like, summer is the perfect time to read a bunch of fiction. Like, good choices. Yeah, it is. So uh, I have this book on my list called Shelter. That like everybody has been like praising, so I'm excited to read this, and uh, I'm gonna try a YA fantasy also. Whoa! I, like, I've like I've read like one YA book. Thank you, Brittany Callender, and that's it. So this one is called Rebel of the Sands, and all of the kids are like telling me about it. So I'm excited, and then. And then I just finished reading this um, short story collection by Helen Oyeyemi called uh, What is Not Yours is Not Yours, and it's great. Which is also supposed to be great. Yeah. I like short stories. It's like, I was like, this is the gateway for me is short stories. (laughs) I love that. Well, I've been reading two books by friends. So I have, this is actually a great Shine Theory story. So here in LA, two friends of mine who are novelists, Margaret Wappler and Jade Chang, have for a long time been writing partners, which is not that they really write together, but they're like accountability partners where they would essentially go to the same bar or restaurant or coffee shop and sit across from each other and like make sure that they were both writing. And what's really cool about it is like their novels are coming out within months of each other. And I'm reading both of them now. Margaret's is called called Neon Green. It's about a family in suburban Chicago in the 90s that have a UFO land in their backyard. It is for adults, but I can actually, like, when I'm reading it, I'm like, I kind of picture my, like, preteen self loving it, which I don't mean as an insult. It's actually delightful. And Jade's book is called The Wangs Versus the World, which is set at the, just after the 2008 financial crisis about a really wealthy family that loses all of their money and embarks on this big road trip and a lot of soul searching, which is super interesting because it's an immigrant narrative that I think is not often told, a family that's like on top. So they're both really great. And I just love the story about how they both achieved this goal with like each other's help. So I don't know, I'm reading both of those, even though they're very, very different books. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm also like reading a lot of books by black women right now. And uh My favorite book that I've read this year so far is called Homegoing by uh, Yag Yassi. Oh, this is on my list next. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so good. I'll send it to you if you haven't bought it yet. I mean, I bought it because you got a support, but yes. (laughs) You do got a support. I'm just saying I have copies at my house. Okay. Um, Because here's the thing. Um, I got this hot tip from friend of the podcast, Nilifer Merchant, who whenever she has a friend that has a book coming out, she buys many copies and sends them to all her other friends. And that has been, 
you know, like I have been the beneficiary of that generosity and it's been fantastic. And I've like discovered so many books that way. And so I made like a resolution to start doing the same this year. I was like, if I like a book, I will buy 10 copies of it and I will send them to 10 different people. That is such an incredible way to to support like artists who you care about and also to show love to your friends. That's genius. No, exactly. You know, and and for and and it is really important, especially in the pre. I'm like learning this about like publishing, like in the pre-order phase. You know, and just like build, like drumming up support. It's like if you have friends who have books coming out and you can afford to support them that way, that's the way to do it. And so, so Homegoing is this like it's this great, great, great novel. It's like a just sweeping, you know, like account of like two half sisters in 18th century Ghana. And, you know, that there are, like, generations of descendants in America, and it's great. It's, like, if you like themes about, like, family, history, racism, and, you know, it, like, spans three centuries. It's, uh, I don't ever use this word a lot in constructions of things, but it's, like, very ambitious, and she pulls it off, like, really, really well. I also love novels told from, like, a woman's point of view that span decades, in part because yeah. I feel like the history that we learn, like, that charts a really big arc over time is frequently with like featuring men as protagonists or written from like a really like yeah. white male perspective and so I, I that is a huge selling point for me that it's yeah. ambitious in that way like the span of time that's great um, I'm also reading or I read a book called Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson she I believe usually writes children's books she was the woman, you remember, like, when uh, the Lemony Snicket's guy made a racist joke? Yes. Yeah, Lemony Snicket's is terrible, and that guy is awful. <laughs> and so he made a racist joke, like, Jacqueline Woodson was, like, that was her. Um, if you don't know the story, you should Google it yourself. But um, she, her book is out, I believe, like, in, in two weeks or something. I had a, a preview copy, but it's about uh, just... You know, this, like, young girl. So this is an adult novel as opposed to the children's books that she writes. But it's about this girl named August and, like, all of the, like, these three really, the friendship between, like, three girls in Brooklyn who these girls come from the South. And it's really moving and it's really well written. So, again, it's, like, teens, loss, friendship, like, race, religion. Like, that's awesome. And then the other awesome black woman book that I read this year is called Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Dennis-Ben. It's about three Jamaican women, and they, like, fight for their village when there's, like, a new hotel expansion that's coming in. But it also, it deals with them, like, having to just, like, deal with all these sins from the past, you know, from all of their lives. And so it's great. It's, like, written, like, really, really well. That was the, that was one book that I read where I was, like, I feel like I have gone somewhere else. Like, in the sense that, like, reading can take you to a completely different place. Like, this was the book that did that for me. So, check them out. Yeah, and I think, like, that is actually one reason why I really like reading fiction. I mean, summer, it's easy to sort of use as a shorthand for, like, a period of time when you maybe have more free time or you're, like, maybe doing more lounging about. I know it's not that way for everyone, but I think that there's maybe some sort of, like, culturally accepted, like, we all, like, have a lower speed then. And I think reading those books that are, like, immersive... um, during that sort of time, like either vacation or something like summer is really just such a treat. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like the big book that I'm really excited about that's coming out is called The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Oh, I have and, a review uh, copy of this. Ah, <laughs> uh, jealous. Um, Do you want I, me to send it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, done, I will. Also, uh, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm getting that pre-order. Gotta support. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, she like... I, I love all of her other writing, so I'm really, 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 really excited to read this. Man, I feel like a new person reading fiction. This is like, you know, I feel like I'm in 10th grade English all over again. It's I great. find it more calming than any meditation app I have ever tried. I will be honest. No, seriously, yeah. it's very calming. I was like, I need to st- I was like, whatever I was doing before, I need to stop doing. I was telling a friend this. Uh, she's a librarian, and she looked at me like, where have you been? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I was like, it's true. I was like, you know, since... AP English and IB English, I probably, like, have not read novels. Like, my big shame. And I'm back now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Columbus in fiction. <laughs> I can't even believe you just accused me of that. <laughs> ah, I just, I was repeating Gina editing error. I know, I heard it. I heard it. I was like, Gina, mm-hmm. at your mercy like, now. No way. I was like, no way. Look into your heart, Gina. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is cheesy, but I love hearing also about what other people are reading, especially when it's like not brand new books. I'm someone who is really bad about reading on trend a lot of the time. And so, you know, like, remember that time period when like everyone was reading The Goldfinch or whatever? I'm just like, you know, like I never, I know, I don't feel. <laughs> oh, like- I read that. <laughs> yeah, see, see, trend I'm, that, see I'm, I'm a very like trendy reader. That's true. But you know what it is too is we have a lot of friends in common who like read a lot. Like our friend totally. Phoebe is a machine. She reads like one book a week, maybe more. And she, you know, and she she has that like awesome hashtag on Instagram that's like books, you know, like 2016 and books 2015, like for the year. And so I like reading based on friends' recommendations. And so I think that that's why I end up, you know, it's like if something is like big enough, I definitely had read all the Ferrante books before Ferrante fever came to America. So, (laughs) you know, like it's one of those like, yeah, my dipping my toe into that world is very uneven, but I really appreciate when like friends give you like really solid recommendations. And it's also such a good like bonding point. And a good, like, you know, we're, we're reading the same book right now, so we have a lot of stuff to talk about. That has been, like, hugely, like, awesome for my friendships. Maybe we should do a CYG Books, like, on Instagram or on Twitter if people want to talk about what they're reading this summer. Because I am always very curious about what people are actually reading. Yeah, if peop- uh, anybody who's listening to this, if you want to tweet at us, I think Instagram, though, is the place for this. Show us what you're reading and just hashtag it CYG Books. I can't, be awesome. wait. I can't wait to build a massive, ambitious reading list that I am sure not to complete <laughs> as a result of this. <laughs> you know what? I am fully confident that I will complete my reading list before I die. Oh, my like, God. Fully what? confident of that. Yeah, what? because you you make room and time for it. And I Mary Kondoed a lot of my books recently. <laughs> just I got a Kindle. And let me tell you. People who are, like, format fetishists, I'm like, whatever, like, you know, and I've even, like, read studies that say that, like, reading on paper makes you, like, retain more information or whatever, but, like, the Kindle has truly transformed how I how I read and how much I can read. And I almost bought one on Prime that. Day and didn't, so now you're making me regret. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, honestly, and this is the first time that I'm talking about owning a Kindle. It's like, I go out and I, like, I never pull it out, you know, like, on the train or whatever, but I'll be at home and you I'm just, only like, read it like in, in bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, if they could make a book cover that this thing could go into, <laughs> like, it would be fine. But you know what? It's great. It's great. And also, it's, like, awesome for reading at the beach because you 
you don't get the glare and like all of that other stuff from the iPad. It's like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm very happy. Like, I can't believe this has turned into Amazon promo. I can't believe but, it. I was uh, just gonna say this is not sponsored. But this, by is, how, but this is how much. But this is how much I'm telling you that like, like this is how strongly I believe in like whatever gets you reading, like gets you reading. You know, I I endorse that as well. Um, just like whatever, whatever it takes, and this is me admitting my like techno shame about the fact that like I have a reading device. Oh, I <laughs> think there's no shame. I actually haven't gotten one in the past because I feel like I can't have any device that would allow me to not read. Like one of the things about holding a book is like I like put my phone in the other room so I can concentrate on it. Like I'm so tempted by the digital that I've been scared of a Kindle as like even a gateway to that. Brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Well, you know, like, I'm going to take this away from fiction, though, but, like, two books that are in the CYG friend family that are out and coming out are uh, Jessica Bennett, who has a really fun book coming out this fall called uh, Feminist Fight Club. And she, ba- where she basically lays out, like, survival strategies for women in the workplace. Hello, Jess Bennett. Thanks for joining us on Call Your Girlfriend today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, can you tell us, like, I guess, who you are and what you do? Mm-hmm. I'm a journalist. I cover gender issues and culture and kind of the intersection of the two, mostly for the New York Times. And I write a column on language trends and digital communication. Look at you. So many, so many jobs. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Freelance life. You know, I have about 17 jobs. Um, <laughs> and I also have a book coming out in September that we are here to talk about. Yes. Feminist Fight Club. Uh, and the tagline is an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. I'm very excited about reading this. Yeah. It's 21% more expensive for men <laughs> to make up for the wage gap. Um, and <laughs> it comes out in September and I'm excited. This is really exciting. What gave you the idea to write this book? Because I remember when you talked to us about, you know, like you were like, hi, I'm writing a book about uh, this. And I don't remember like what email you sent. 
literally every woman I know who was aware of it was like, oh my God, like, yes, just the office sexism. Like, who doesn't, who doesn't know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've been writing about these issues for a long time and I did some editing work for Sheryl Sandberg when Lean In came out, helping her foundation come up with editorial projects with other magazines. And Part of it was just that I kept reading all of these studies. You at one point, Amina, told me that Harvard Business Review was your gospel. Oh, yeah. 100% (laughs) feminist Bible. (laughs) Yeah, the feminist Bible. So I read a lot of Harvard Business Review as well. And there's these studies that come out all the time about how to deal with these various subtle issues that you face in the workplace. And... But they're hard to decipher. You know, most people aren't sitting down and reading through academic studies, but there was so much really useful information in them that I kept thinking if there was a way to pull this out and make it punchy and fun and combine it with pop culture, there's actually a lot of really useful battle tactics and fight moves that you can act out in the workplace to deal with some of these issues. And so that was sort of how the book originated. What was the most persistent like problem you think you encountered? I mean, the manterrupter is a pretty common one. That's the guy who interrupts you in meetings. And so the way that the book is laid out is all of these different archetypes that you face in the workplace. Some of them considered enemies. The manterrupter who interrupts you, the bro-appropriator, the bro who appropriates your ideas and gets credit for them, the (laughs) imitator, that dude who repeats what you just said in different words. My blood pressure is rising (laughs) because I just, I'm I'm like, I'm seeing all, like, I just... This is very visceral Um, for a lot of us. And I think a lot of times these things are really hard to call out or even identify. And it's easy to kind of turn inward and be like, am I the problem? Am I not speaking loud enough? Am I not saying it in an authoritative tone? So it looks at those different archetypes. And then it looks at some of the ways that women hold themselves back or doubt themselves in the workplace. So like the imposter, the woman who feels like she's a fraud, or the office mom, the woman who kind of naturally takes on more of the administrative duties and thus doesn't get to work on the high-level projects. And so for each of these, I try to provide really actionable tools for how to combat them that are all rooted in research. Oh my god, rooted in research, the magical words at Call Your Girlfriend. Thank you. Um, What do you, you know, I... I think that, like, this book is obviously going to resonate a lot with, like, women, especially, like, our kind of crowd, Mm -hmm. because these are issues that we talk about all the time. And Mm -hmm. even the survival tactics are just tools of the trade that we share, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we talk about them in the bathroom. We talk about them in happy hour. We we talk about them in conferences when it's just us. What's in it for the dudes? Because they're the problem. Totally. I mean, they're not the only problem, and we need them on our side. And so part of what I've tried to do is use humor as a way to bring people in. Like, I was at a friend's house for a barbecue with her family, who are all Trump supporters. And I brought them a copy of the book to show them and was expecting, like, a crazy response. But they thought the 21% more expensive for men part was hilarious. And suddenly they wanted to talk about it and they wanted to flip through it. And so it was actually interesting to watch that happen because I was hoping that the humor would allow it to feel accessible in some way. There is a section in the book that's specifically targeted at men. It's a PSA, a penile service announcement. (laughs) And it's how to have a dick without being one. And it's just really useful and easy things that guys can do in the workplace to help their fellow women. And I think that most men and men of our generation in particular actually really do want to do the right thing. But there's this thing called male privilege. And they have all of these actions that are embedded in them that possibly 
causes them to interrupt or speak loudly or assume that something is coming their way or a project is theirs. Whereas I think women largely have the tendency to kind of stay in the background. Not us, uh, for sure. (laughs) Can you tell me about some of the women that you talked to for the book that stand out and, you know, maybe like a tactic or two that they shared with you? Yeah, well, so the backstory to the book It's all of these tools, but there's also a narrative about my real-life feminist fight club, which is a group of women that I began meeting with when I first moved to New York a decade ago, and we were all sort of at the start of our careers. I was a junior reporter at Newsweek in a very male and white male-dominated environment. A lot of them were up-and-coming comics. Some of them were working in television. And we would get together once a month, sort of like a modern-day consciousness-raising group, and we would basically bitch about all of these issues we were facing at work, and we would share tricks of the trade. And so the backstory to the book is these women and how we've sort of all come up together and how we made this vow to help each other out throughout our career processes and to mentor other women and to you know, sort of combat that idea of the queen bee and that women don't help each other, much like you guys talk about with Shine Theory. And so they're full of different tricks. And I know that I actually interviewed you at one point for the book, and you're in it. Um, Yes. And you have an amazing, (laughs) you have an amazing trick, so I think we should share it. So the office mom, this is the woman who often the administrative tasks fall to her. Maybe she's volunteering for them more. Maybe she's not volunteering, but they just go to her. And all of the research proves that these types of tasks more frequently fall to women. And as a result, women don't take part in the high-level projects, and they may not get credit for more important, quote-unquote, more important tasks at work. So how do you get out of that situation when you're being asked to take the notes in a meeting or to grab the coffee? So I know you have a really good story about what how you don't oh my God, I don't remember the story <laughs> okay, well, I'll I told tell you. you so I might make you tell it yeah what okay. did I tell you so you told me that if someone asks you to grab coffee you look at them and you say you know I'd be happy to do that but my mom never taught me how to make, make coffee, coffee. Mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't have to get it in meetings <laughs> it's true I don't drink coffee I don't make coffee I don't know how to operate a machine I for me it's like the direct approach works the most right yeah i think that you need to play within like whatever your personality is most comfortable yes but i think that being direct or asking very dumb questions Uh is uh those are the two ways that i usually get out of tasks yeah yeah it's kind of funny because the advice that i want to give is to be very direct and to say fuck it to all of these things and just do what we should do which is being the badasses that we are but a lot of the research actually advises to play into stereotypes in some way, like the playing dumb. You don't know how to make coffee. Or, for example, when you're going in to ask for a raise, it's been shown that if a woman smiles while she does so, she's less likely to be viewed as pushy and more uh. likely to get the raise. So it's it's difficult because it's like, do you play into that shit? We don't want to play into it. But at the same time, like, get that money yeah. and then get that money and hire more women so that these problems resolve. So it's sort of a double-edged sword in a way that it's like, do you play within the system or do you fight against it? Yeah, you know, and I think that that's why it's so important, honestly, for a lot of women who especially just, like, work in the corporate world to just be on top of all of these management studies. <laughs> because mm-hmm. for as much as we all want to be working in, you know, like, liberated workplaces right. or whatever, you realize that 
everybody is playing a game mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to play into it and you have to you have to really understand what the politics and the psychology mm-hmm. of your industry are and how to to rise above them. And it is really frustrating, right? Like being told you have to smile more or you have to wear a little bit right. more makeup right. or you have to and for me, I'm like, well, if this means I'm going to get paid more and then I'm going to be this person's boss one day right? <laughs> and I get to change that, I can do that temporarily. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, that's sort of my feeling as well. Like at the end of the day, whatever is going to get more women into power and more women in power is going to help solve this problem and dismantle patriarchy. But we also have to support each other and lift other women up along the way. But I think that... This stuff doesn't just happen in really rigid corporate environments. It happens in super progressive, hippy-dippy environments where everyone talks about things being egalitarian and, you know, in the tech world, like all of these places that claim to be so progressive, there's really deep-rooted, entrenched issues of gender bias. And sometimes it's overt sexism, but sometimes it's more subtle and it's just unconscious bias. Yeah, you know, another feminist writer, Jill Filipovich, has written about this so much about um, how one of the big shocks for women when they leave college is that, like, college is a very... It's like a fairly egalitarian mm-hmm. system, right? It's like you, there's actually like probably more women in your classes yeah. and people are a little less shy or whatever. And then you get into the workforce And it's 1956, like, in the workforce. And you can see the ceiling really quickly or whatever. Mm -hmm. She wrote about that specific to, like, women's attitudes to Hillary Clinton. But I thought it was was such an important point. Yeah. You know, like, that's where the shock comes from. So I think that a book like yours, I'm excited to give it to women who are, like, coming straight into the workforce. Because I think that this is a thing that... Nobody prepares you. Like, college doesn't even prepare right. you for, like, the basics of office life. Completely. And they don't teach you how to negotiate. Definitely not for the, like, gender jujitsu. Yes, that exactly. You're, like, Which is, that you're about to right. enter into. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, sadly what we have to do in a lot of cases. That was completely my experience as well. Like, I grew up in Seattle, super liberal. You know, my parents are feminists. I never even really talked about feminism because it was so implied that, obviously, men and women were equal. And I went to college, same deal, you know, women outpacing men in getting degrees and getting advanced degrees and getting PhDs. So most of my classes were female dominated. And then I started this job as a, as a writer at Newsweek. And yeah, it was literally like the 1950s. But because I'd never really experienced it and hadn't taken women's studies courses in school and hadn't really grappled with the idea of feminism or even said out loud that I was a feminist... I think I immediately turned inward and started to think that maybe the problem was me. Maybe my ideas weren't good enough. Maybe these guys had something that I didn't. And so it took a long time for me to figure out, oh, actually, no, fuck that. Uh, The problem is systemic. And the way that I got there was in large part thanks to the support of this feminist fight club that I was part of because we were all experiencing the same thing. And it in some ways is like the second wave feminists discussed about the click moment. You have that click moment where you realize it's not actually you. The problem is collective. And I think you feel much stronger knowing that you have an army of women behind you. That's a really great point and something that we we stress so much. You know, it's like one day, like, work will be fair and it'll be liberated or whatever. But in the meantime, like, find people who are your allies who help you. Because the thing about a lot of this stuff, I think that for me, like, especially being in my 30s and my career is finally going that I realize is how much of it 
is just such a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like every time I'm thinking, like, did that guy just steal my idea? Mm-hmm. Is um, Am I being too pushy at work? Am I, mm-hmm. like, being too loud? Am I not being loud? I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I wonder if all of these men that I work with, like, this is a calculus that they think oh about God. all the time on no. top of doing their work, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's such a distraction. It's such a waste of your time. And it really just, like, saps your morale at any job that you're at. It's exhausting. And I think it's good to have the tools, but it sucks that we have to think about the tools at all times and be trying to navigate and figuring out what the best way to respond to a certain situation is. Or, like you said, wondering if you're being too loud or if you're falling into some stereotype that people have in the workplace that falls to women and particularly women of color. So I think that... You know, it's good to have the battle tactics, but all of these, I hope, are going towards the larger goal of getting more women in power and, you know, taking over shit. This is so exciting. Uh, One day work will be okay, but in the meantime, your Feminist Fight Club comes out in September, and uh, we're really excited to check it out. Thanks so much for joining us, Jess. Thanks for having me. The second person that I talked to, Jessica Valenti, has a book called Sex Object that is out and is on the New York Times bestseller list and has made, like, really big feminist waves recently. And I talked to her. She just gets into these, like, very, I don't know, like, really, she has these really intimate conversations about things that women deal with all the time, like, namely being sexualized and being harassed and being assaulted and has... Basically, like, decided that instead of being sarcastic as women on the internet are, that she was going to get real. And I think that that's, you know, like, that's why the book has resonated with so many people. My God, double Jess action. I love this. (laughs) Hi, Jessica Valenti. Thanks for joining us today on Call Your Girlfriend. Thank you for having me. Anne and I have both known you for a long time, like, both, like, personally and professionally. And uh, you have a new book out you're actually a New York Times best-selling author. Uh, no big deal. Shoulder, uh, shoulder, sh- shrug. shoulder shrug. Can you tell us a little bit about what your you know, what your book Sex Object is about? So Sex Object is a memoir. It's my first memoir. It is about sexual objectification, obviously, sort of more generally, the toll that sexism took in my life over the course of several years. The idea that I was trying to get at was what the cumulative impact of of sexism is and, and what it means to, to grow up living in a world that has so much disdain for women. I think that we have a language around a lot of these issues and we have a language around like what it means to go through specific instances of sexism, right? But we don't have like a word or a language or necessarily a conversation going about that cumulative impact about like what that does to you and also like how it shapes who you are and and who you become. You know, honestly, reading your book, that was the thing, um, like that was my first impression was just how overwhelming it is to be a woman in the world because you just chronologically lay out here's the first time somebody in the subway did something inappropriate. Here's the teacher who hugged me too hard. And then in adult life, like here are all of the traps that you can fall into. And, um, you know, and I think that that's something that so many of us can relate to. Like, in fact, I don't know that there's not a woman alive who 
like one of those episodes will not resonate for her right at any age but i think that seeing it through the lens of somebody's life and realizing how young you were when you were exposed to a lot of these things and how just expected it was was something that was truly just it was shocking and it was and it was really heavy but you know i really wonder like how how much like having a daughter has impacted you know like the way that you you think about these issues and the kind of world that you think that she is going to grow into i mean that question is a big reason why i wrote the book um and and honestly why it is a little bit heavier before i was thinking about writing the book and i and i wrote the first essay that would go on to become the essay that kicks off the book andrew read it my husband read it and it, I was like, what do you think? And he's like, it's really punishing. And I, remember, and, and I just said, good. I was like, good. I want it to be punishing. I sort of have had this shift, and I think a lot of that is because of Layla and because of the fact that I'm raising a daughter, that I'm sort of tired of like being jokey about it. Like I'm really tired of being sarcastic and having like my blog voice on and having my Twitter voice on and like and I just want to get down to brass tacks a little bit. Like these issues have become a lot more urgent for me. Um, you're also someone who you've been in the trenches of writing online. You know, like you distinctly are part of a group of women who essentially invented what the woman internet voice is. And, um, you know, with setting up feministing and, and all of the, all of the work that you've been doing, like I remember not paying attention in any of my classes because we were refreshing the internet to read Feministing. This is when there were like four websites. It was like we would read Perez Hilton and we read Feministing. Like that was the counterbalance. You know, in some ways, like things have gotten easier because the voice has become mainstream. But in other ways, the just the trolling and the the hate around women has gotten really intense. And you're somebody who is a columnist. You've been writing about your life. If you could tell us how you think that, like, men specifically who, like, react strongly to having women's voices online, like, how that has changed or hasn't changed. It's it's changed a lot in that I think that they've always been there, right? Since a woman wrote a blog post, there's been some man there to tell her how wrong she is or call her, you know, call her a name. But the, the speed at which this happens now, it's this, this unrelentingness of it. And I think that the, the thing that's really changed with the way that misogynists troll is that it feels like 10 years ago when we were blogging, trolling was like something you did. And now with social media, it's, it's something that you are. Yeah, you know, it's it's really, a lot of it, you know, I think that you're right when you talk about this. Uh, for a lot of us, we just put on our, our thick skins and we joke about it and we laugh about it. But you, it really has like really deep psychological impact on a lot of our lives. You know, like I, you know, I can admit to the fact that like writing online has given me more anxiety and it has, there's days where like I can't be on the internet because there's like terrible men saying things at you that are unconscionable. And so I get, you know, like, I really appreciate that that's something that you're bringing to the table. And I think that the more of us that talk about it, the more just everybody else realizes how relentless it is, right? It's not that we're these, like, shrill feminists who are, like, trying to usher in, like, weird revolutions. It's like, no, we're literally just asking you to be considered as equal humans. And now you're calling us cunts <laughs> and feminazis. Like, you know, I guess another question I had for you is uh, who... For for our listeners particularly, like especially the younger ones who care a lot about this stuff, like who are other writers or like commentators that are on your radar 
that you think they should be paying attention to and expanding their kind, you know, their like listening and reading stable? Beyond sort of like the more well-known folks, I guess I would say like obviously Roxane Gay and, and Lindy West, like I read and love. Samantha Irby is someone who I love. I, I just think she's hilarious and, and brilliant and I think she should just have like millions and millions of readers. One of the awesome things about doing this work on online, and this has been true for as long as I've been doing it, is that you sort of find someone new every day. And it doesn't necessarily mean like a woman who becomes like an influencer to your work or to, to who you are. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a writer or someone who puts out a book or someone who has a blog. Like sometimes it is just like someone you follow on Twitter or like on Instagram and that's been really fun for me and provided a nice sort of antidote to all of the horribleness that that exists online is is that I do still I'm not like willing to to give up that space yet because I do still feel a sense of community and I do still feel a sense of like discovery like there's like this you know like a teenager I think she's in Florida who like has an account called feminist culture and she, like she's hundreds of thousands of followers and like it's it's very like kids these days I like don't understand so I'm like oh but it's just amazing to watch right and I mean like you mentioned Roxanne Gay earlier who wrote Bad Feminist right which essentially for, for a lot of us was a sigh of relief and a Somebody has finally given us the language to talk about all of these complicated politics that we have. And, uh, you know, and I think that that's part of the reason of that, the success of that book, like frankly, right? Is that for a lot of us who are in these feminist trenches every day, realizing that, you know, we're not saints and we have complicated feelings about things, uh, all, you know, like all day. So what are things that, uh, you think you're a bad feminist about? That's a scary question. Um, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit once um, in a column. The, the Guardian um, gave it, like, the worst headline, and we changed it, and I still get harassed about the headline um, to this day. And it was about, like, being catcalled. And I think their headline was, like, mm, I'm, like, sad that sexism makes me miss catcalling. And it was, like, that's not at all what I wrote, but Okay. It's like, well, but it was like, I do have a lot of like weird feelings around, you know, like so much of my life was defined by men like yelling stuff at me on the street multiple times a day, every day for so much of my life. And so to go from that to sort of like relative silence is a really weird thing because in one way it's amazing and awesome. And I, I do feel this sense of like freedom walking around just in the last couple of years that I didn't feel before. I don't like tense up in the same way that I used to when I'm walking by groups of men. But there's something that that feels bad about it too, right? Like if you're told from the time you're young that like this is your value and like this is what gives you power or this is what like makes you visible in the world. And then as toxic as it is, if it's taken away from you, that feels strange, Right. And so I have a lot of complicated feelings and like feel like a bad feminist about aging and, and starting to become like less visible to men in a way that I hated growing up. So it's weird. I appreciate that honest answer. Catcalling for me is not uh, it's not difficult. I always joke that I want to start a feminist like terrorist group called Toxic Shock Syndrome, where we just murder catcallers. <laughs> 
It's like you say one thing and like a tampon full of blood just like takes you out. Like those are the bullets. It's the most, it's so awful. But I do think, you know, like that conversation about aging is, it's hard. And it's also like very taboo to to have because we're not supposed to ascribe to mainstream beauty ideals or we're not, you know, like, which like, let's be real. (laughs) That's, that's a thing that's a part of our lives every day. So I hope maybe that that's the next project that you tackle. It's like, uh, we're, we're, we're not getting any younger on the internet. (laughs) But you know, at the same time, there's something liberating about it to me too. That's just like, you get older, the like trash people on the street, like you don't hold their gaze anymore. And there's something so wonderful about that. And I think that thing that you said about just like not tensing up, I was like, this is crazy how much of a physical reaction it is for us. It's like everything that's like online to offline is just, it is physical and it's visceral. And I think that your book really, 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 really captures that for a lot of people. And I hope that everybody uh, buys the book and reads it and really has a, you know, like serious conversation, especially with the other women in their lives about it. What's one thought that you want women who read your book to like leave feeling with? I think um, life is really messy and it's okay if you're messy too, right? And it took me sort of a long time to to get there, I think. And I think a lot of women do this. I've met, I have a lot of female friends who have done this. A strategy for dealing with the chaos of, of living in a misogynist society becomes trying to do everything right. Having everything in your life be black and white or a certain way so that you can have something that makes sense, right? It, when, it, when nothing else does. And that can feel like a, a trap too. And so for me, sort of accepting the fact that like I'm a really flawed and messy person, I may always be a flawed and messy person, that's all right, has been really wonderful for me. Thanks so much for joining us. New York Times bestselling author Jessica Valenti, uh, Sex Objects is out now. Uh, you should read it. All right. You can find as many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download this podcast anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. We're on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or on Instagram, where we're also callyrgf. Um, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac with special thanks to Maria Villasenor and Argo Studios in New York City. See you on the internet. See you on the internet, boo. (laughs) 